Welcome to episode 5, and our first episode covering the Zelda cartoon. Special thanks to Abacus for the Heroes theme cover, and Xylopiano for the Ganon's theme cover, both heard in this episode. Links in the description below. Hey, paisanos, it's the- Excuse me, princess. Super Show! Welcome back to the Excuse Me Princess Super Show, where we're watching The Legend of Zelda and the Super Mario Brothers Super Show in air date order. I'm John. I'm Aaron. And today we're looking at overall Episode 5, but more importantly, Episode 1 of The Legend of Zelda, The Ringer, alongside its live-action segment, Slime Busters. Which has the biggest guest star to date. I think that's fair to say, yeah. If you want to watch the episode we're going to be watching today, the Zelda cartoon is legally available on the Wild Brain Superheroes YouTube channel, the current rights holders, but none of the episodes uploaded have their live-action segments. And in fact, only five out of the 13 Zelda episodes have their live-action segments officially released, and only on the long out-of-print DVD set. But all but one are available on YouTube, so you just sort of have to dig around for it. Which we had to for this one. Luckily, there was an upscaled version. Probably one of the best-looking uh, live-action ones we've seen in the, uh, so far. Yeah, it actually looks a heck of a lot better than the official uploads do. They're all sourced from the crummy old DVD sets, though. So as we said, it's Episode 5, Slime Busters and The Ringer. Original air date, September 8th, 1989. As always, Aaron's going to lead off the synopsis of the live-action segment, Slime Busters, and give us the straight poop on the guest star. Alright, to start off with, Mario and Luigi are chasing after slime ghosts. Which looks suspiciously like that green spray-painted bubble wrap from that uh, old episode of Doctor Who, The Ark in Space. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, bubble wrap wasn't as instantly recognizable to the consumer back then. Luckily, they have already called in the experts, the Slime Busters. Because and, wh who are you going to call? And turns out, it's Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Of Ghostbuster fame at the time. Now he's better known for Quantum Leap, but that's another story. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be his, uh, what he's remembered for in the, in the far gone future. How, uh... Unfortunately, uh, Luigi gets pulled into the haunted bedroom poltergeist style by the slime. And when, uh... Mario asks where the rest of the slime busters are. We find out that Ernie was unfortunate enough to lose the toy car. <laughs> Ernie was unfortunate enough to uh, lose the toy cars. <laughs> One more. <laughs> they flipped for it, and Ernie lost. No, no, you After don't. finding out that it was the Mario Brothers that uh, they would be coming to service. From there, Luigi comes out and it seems a little bit different. Yeah. He's doing his best voice filter impression. <laughs> and eating not the pizza, but the dish itself. Yeah, the paper plate. Meanwhile, Ernie and Mario don't seem to actually realize that uh, Luigi is possessed. At least not just yet. However, his one arm starts to slime up. He's wrapped his one arm for shipping. Yes. And he starts throwing slime 
at the fridge. This is when they realize that Luigi just might not be fully Luigi'd. Oh, yeah. And sorry to jump back, but this is also, I think, the first real appearance of the heavily puppeted boiler in the mar- in the plumbing the- shop. It really bends and folds and spits steam. Yes. I think that goes on to be fairly recurrent. Just like that manhole cover the slime was coming out of. Yes. And the pizza foam, which was not used this episode. No, but it was on the table. Yes. It's a, it's a permanent part of the standing set. In the end, Ernie ends up shooting a pizza plate, pizza pan. But he shoots at Luigi, the haunted Luigi, who blocks it with the pizza pan. Which uh, transfers uh, the slime ghost into the uh, pizza pan. And in the end, the slime ghost uh, begs to be uh, taken away from the Mario Brothers. Which happens to a lot of the guest stars. Yeah. Seems like they're not as popular as Sonic is. No. They're not hooked on the brothers. Not yet, anyways. So that's about it. Now, as uh, most of you can guess, Ernie Hudson is Winston from the Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, and Ghostbusters Afterlife. However... He is not in the real Ghostbusters cartoon, even though he did audition for it. Yeah. I, I guess they didn't... I don't know if they didn't want to pay him, or they just didn't want it to overshadow the rest of the cast by having one real Ghostbuster in the real Ghostbusters. Yes. Um, there are a couple of interesting uh, facts. As I've mentioned, right now, if you're wanting to see him, he is a current reoccurring role on the new Quantum Leap uh, series, which is not really a sequel or a reboot, kind of both of the original Quantum Leap. It's an incredible Hulk. Yes. Um, Before getting into acting, he did join the Marines, however, was discharged for asthma. Uh. And in the past, he has cited both Muhammad Ali and Bruce Lee as inspirations and, and idols, which... One of which uh, he ends up having a bit of legacy with, with uh, Brendan Lee, Bruce Lee's uh, son. Ernie starred with him in uh, Brendan's final fatal role, The Crow, which is well documented on gun safety and prop safety if you're wanting to uh, learn more about it. Yeah, a lesson that everybody learned. Except Alec Baldwin. Except Alec Baldwin. Thank you. I almost said Ben Affleck, which is wrong. Very yes. wrong. But overall, a pretty solid live action segment. Yeah. Uh, one of my friend, well, definitely my favorite so far. One of the strongest uh, live action segments. Uh, best acting all around. Uh, Ernie really brought up the caliber. Yeah. It helps. This is, I think, the first time they had a real comedic actor. He knows why he's there, and he's having fun with it. They put him in a backpack. A literal, like, backpack backpack. Yeah. It's like, okay, I know what this is. Should we move on to the Zelda cartoon? Or, But first, I guess we should talk about our history with the Zelda cartoon, and maybe the Zelda series. Yes. A one of us has a much better history with the Zelda cartoon. Almost a profitable history. Uh-huh. Anyone who's listening back to these is going to notice that I don't keep bringing this up. It's the other guy who keeps bringing this up. Yes, because I'm proud of you. It's the one thing I'm proud of you for. 
Well, going back to the beginning, as we've talked about in episode one, used to watch the Super Show uh, very early in the morning on YTV here in Canada in, you know, 94, 5, 6, that kind of era. And the Zelda cartoon was my favorite part. Especially uh, my friend Mike and I were big fans of the Zelda game on the NES, so we loved to watch the Zelda cartoon. And then years later, watched it again on Yahooligans back in 2004, as we've talked about before, in Potato Vision. And then eventually got the DVD set when that came out, which was great because that was the first real release of the Super Show I'd picked up. But uh, inspired by, I think it was... There's a very a famous uh, video of the Street Fighter cartoon with sensor bleeps over it. And it's not a new bit, but I was just getting into the all the cartoons based off video games at the time. So I did the sensor bleep uh, over the cartoon bit for the Zelda cartoon, which is easy, because I basically just bleeped every time Link asked for a kiss. And uh, it turned out pretty funny. I put it on Screw Attack back in those days. It got 4,000 views. Which was pretty damned impressive. It was on the front page. And then a year or so later, I threw it on YouTube. And eventually, uh, I think Nintendo Life shared it on their blog. And then it skyrocketed. And it's sitting at two and a half million views. Not too bad for something I cobbled together over a Christmas break to make my sister laugh. As for my history with the Zelda games, I like the Zelda games. I always have. I'm a big fan. That's about it. As for my history uh, with the Zelda cartoon, I first watched an episode of the Zelda cartoon that I remember at John's place shortly before he uh, cobbled together the Zelda cartoon censored. And then we watched the rest of it shortly after so that I could get better context. Bet you wish you still lived in ignorance. (laughs) At times, yes. It would be nice to actually watch this without knowing most of it. Yeah, that's the, you know, the Mario cartoon, if I've seen them at all, I've seen them once. You know, not counting when I was a kid. The Zelda cartoon, I know pretty well. It helps that there's only 13 shorts instead of 52 of the other ones. As for uh, the Zelda games, I was not a big fan of the Zelda games. I have never been Ocarina of Time. There's actually only two Zelda games I've beaten. And that is Link's Awakening and Breath of the Wild. Well, they're both standout titles. And Breath of the Wild is such a different game anyway. Yes. But it's great. A time of recording, Tears of the Kingdom's just under a month away, so that's going to be dope. Yes. And I will probably, by the time this is aired, have beaten it at least in one way. Which way is that? Um, story-wise... I won't 100% it, but I might do some funky things with it. Yeah, I didn't 100% uh, Breath of the Wild until the DLC came out, and then I was like, screw it, I'm doing every single shrine. By the time I got that motorcycle, I was so sick of the game, I haven't played it since. And for Breath of the Wild, for me, I when it came out, I was working out of town, just bought the Switch, and uh, played it non-stop because there's nothing else to do when you're in Port Hardy, BC, which is a small town on the island on the very north end. It's either you get drunk each night 
or you play video games in your room alone while your co-workers are getting too sloshed to work the next day. It's a great racket if you can get into it from the outside. Is that one of those towns with such lousy internet that you couldn't even watch the streaming stuff? Yeah, it had... Uh, one of those little towns that still has a thriving movie rental store? Yes, uh, it. Uh, its internet at the time was measured in kilobytes per second. Damn, that slow-moving internet. We're probably going to cut half of this. <laughs> now we're getting indulgent, <laughs> as opposed to the premise of this whole thing. All right, you want to get into the Zelda cartoon itself? The episode, The Ringer? Yeah, let's watch it again. <laughs> yeah, it was actually pretty... De- <laughs> I, I liked it. Not to bury the lead here, but uh, I think the Zelda cartoon, on its own, compared to the Mario cartoon it's packaged with, is a step above in quality for most of the episodes. There's a couple real duds that we'll get to. But, I mean, none of them are Mario's magic carpet. No. Okay, but to get into it properly, episode one, The Ringer, is written by series uh, main writer Bob Forward. Any uh, Transformers fans will recognize the name. He was the lead writer on Beast Wars. And he was also the lead writer on don't Bike. You, don't you mean Beasties? Oh, yes, because we're in Canada, and it was called Beasties up here. <laughs> I forget myself. Thank you. <laughs> Coming up on YTV, it's Beasties. Because in Canada, we weren't allowed to have the war, the word war in the title of children's properties. Thus, also Shadow Planets. Yeah, or Shadow Raiders. Yes. But I think that was even in the States. I think only the toys were called War Planets. And I mean, they said Beast Wars in the show. The show wasn't censored or anything. They just couldn't call it that. Even on the videotape releases, it was... Uh, Beasties, a full... No, it was Beast Wars, a full-length Beasties adventure. Thank you, Alliance Atlantis. But anyway, uh, Bob Forward was also head writer on Biker Mice from Mars and a few other shows, and a regular series writer on everything from He-Man going forward to shows in the 2018-2019 area. So he's still a working guy. But uh, Beast Wars and the Zelda cartoon are his most endearing legacies. Mostly Beast Wars. And I'm going to get into the main cast of the Zelda cartoon because it's episode one, so I want to really get into it. We've got uh, Jonathan Potts as Link. Uh, All these actors are Canadian talent. Uh, Jonathan Potts is based out of Toronto. He's one of those, you know, he was in Care Bears, he was in this and that. His main voice role before this was uh, the main character, Tony, in Beverly Hills Teens. Did you ever see that? No. It didn't air much up here. And if, even when it did, it was a bit before our time. But it was that last era of kids wishing they lived in Beverly Hills and were, like, rich and terrible. But they're, you know, this is just kind of generic stuff. I've seen it, like, once or twice. Theme song's not bad. It makes it into some of those compilations you'll see on YouTube. He's mostly an episode-a-week live-action Canadian actor. You know, he's in... Trying to think of any that were notable. All those names just kind of wash over you. He was in Stargate once. Oh. (laughs) That's that's somewhat notable. But yeah, basically, the Zelda cartoon and the handful of uh, other appearances of Link we'll get to later were his main... It's the main thing anyone remembers him for. 
Cynthia Preston is Princess Zelda. She's another one of those, you know, one episode a week type uh, recurring actors who shows up in Murdoch Mysteries or... I think she was in CSI as well. I had a better list here and I'm going to cut out the part where I'm looking for the list. Yeah, just to go over some of the stuff she's been in. Outer Limits, Forever Night, Relic Hunter, X-Files, CSI, Andromeda, Bones, Two and a Half Men. Just one of those actresses who just pops up and stuff. Her list is about twice as long as Jonathan Potts's is. Her only voice role is Princess Zelda in this and four episodes of Captain N. So, Are we ever going to watch those episodes? I think so. Okay. We'll get to that. We're not going to watch all of Captain N, but we'll probably watch the Zelda episodes. At least Potion of Power, because that's sort of a... You know when a show ends and then it gets its finale in another show? Yes. It's kind of like that. But anyway, we've got uh, two more famous actors round out the cast of episode one. Len Carlson plays Ganon. He's from my hometown of Edmonton, Alberta. And he's been a working voice actor forever. But his most famous role is Burt Raccoon in The Raccoons. And two of the three pig henchmen also in there. But, you know, the forest is a peaceful place until Burt Raccoon wakes up. And, you know, when you listen, you can kind of hear it in sort of that nasally voice that he had. Yeah. He was also the Green Goblin in the 60s Spider-Man cartoon. Oh. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's a whole episode in of itself. I loved that cartoon, but it's different. And Carlson, he passed away a few years ago, but I lost the page of notes that had it. I don't think I saved it. It's not a big deal, though. Only take me a second to bring it up, and then we can cut this part out. Surprise! I am not going to be cutting this part out. Your lack of planning... Needs to be shown for the world to see. Well, I appreciate that. Incompetence is no excuse for yeah, what this go. is. Yeah, Beetlejuice, Donkey Kong Country, X-Men, Senator Kelly, the guy who has sort of in, uh, spearheaded the uh, Mutant Registration Act. Cyber Chase. But I believe we came here to uh, find out about his death. I know, but this can be cut in. Uh, oh, and it was the Canadian voice of the Jolly Green Giant in the Green Giant commercials. Passed away in 2006 at the age of 68 out of a heart attack. Rounding out the cast is Paulina Gillis as Sprite the Fairy, better known nowadays as Tabitha St. Germain, a very prolific Canadian voice actress who's been in, like, the list is longer than my leg of shows. She was born in Boston, Massachusetts, but has become a prolific Canadian voice actor out of Vancouver. Sort of part of that Ocean Group uh, studio team. And she's most famous, currently, as the voice of Rarity in the Generation 4 My Little Pony cartoons. Also Princess Luna, Granny Smith, Photo Finish, and, you know, seven or eight others, because it's that kind of show. If you voice two people per episode, they only have to pay you once. That's capitalism. Yeah. Do your own research on Tabitha St. Germain because it would take up the rest of the episode to get into it. But 
she would show up, uh, you know, she's Sprite in basically every episode of this. And she'll show up in a more prominent role. She's also, pardon me. <clears throat> there we go, I had something in my throat. She's also one of the quote-unquote additional voices in the Mario side of it. But she'll show up as a more permanent role in the later Mario cartoons. And we'll get to that later. Alright, I guess we'll get into the synopsis. So Link wakes up one morning. Sick and tired of not sleeping in the mud. Yeah. Yeah, Link has been... It's in... Basically, after a story that's you know presumably follows something of the plot of the original Zelda game, although without Ganon dying, uh, Link has been brought in full-time to protect the Triforce in Hyrule Castle, and he's not happy about it. He preferred wandering around, sleeping in the mud, fighting bad guys. A hero's life. And one, one good reason why uh, he should be there. So naturally he goes out on the balcony and looks down Zelda's dress. That seems to make him happy enough to stick around for a while. Zelda? Not so much. No. That's a, the writing never quite gets that edgy in the, uh, in the show again that I can remember. Yeah. And I mean, it's pretty opaque. It's just, looking good, princess, especially from this angle. Remember, this is rude and uncalled for in any circumstance. Yeah. See, the way they're drawn, they look a little more adult, but I think they're supposed to be like 16-ish. I know. Age is not an excuse for poor behavior. No, I know. Link's kind of a tool. So I think the Bob Forward, the writer, said that their relationship is supposed to be based off that from Moonlighting. Or maybe uh, Sam and Diane from Cheers, to use a slightly more contemporary example. Moonlighting was like the biggest show of its day, and nobody talks about it anymore. Except as an example of one of those shows where once the characters got together, everyone stopped watching. Because that wasn't fun anymore. But anyway, as Link is oogling Zelda out the window, some moblins break into his room, where the Triforce is being held on a pedestal. And we should mention that the... The Triforce of Wisdom is a, an upside-down blue, uh, what's the best way to put it? Pyramid? Yeah, pyramid. As opposed to the flat, triangular uh, triangles yes. that we're used to seeing in the games. And there's only the two of them, because Zelda 2 hadn't come out yet. And uh, Link fights off the Moblin in his pajamas, and... Well, he does use his sword to defend himself, Link never actually cuts anybody with the sword. He shoots the sword beams from the game, referred to as zapping. But I do like that it uses the game sound for it. Yes. Speaking of uh, sound, we will talk a little bit about the music later. This is just a note for that. Yeah, definitely. So we don't forget. No, I appreciate that. Anyway, Link sends the... Trashing his room, Link sends the Moblins packing back to Ganon just as Zelda comes in to give him a piece of her mind for the whistling and catcalling earlier. However, he thinks he's getting a kiss. Yeah. The hero's reward, even though Zelda didn't see what happened. And she smacks him off of... You know, off screen. And I mean, that's a an old bit of girl slaps boy equals comedy that we've mostly shaken off. Yeah. Except for uh, Stephen Moffat. He still thinks it's freaking hilarious. 
and as River Song slapped the doctor every time she shows up. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's just a long-standing beef I have with Stephen Moffat's writing style. He was, and Stephen Clara Moffat was, himself. Clara was bad for that, too. Yeah. In fact, she was worse. <laughs> but anyway, this isn't a Doctor Who podcast. There's lots of those. Not yet, at least. Anyway, uh, Link explains that uh, the Triforce was... Uh, Link explains that Moblins busted in and tried to steal the Triforce, and Zelda mentions that incidences of that have been on the rise lately. So while she's uh, cutting and running to go judge an amateur magician's contest, because the princess doesn't have anything better to do, the uh, Link is to stay in his room and guard the Triforce the whole day. If there's one thing that uh, we learn is... Having just one person guard something is a great idea. Well, the one person being Link, at least, who, even though he's a whiny tool, he's also a very capable fighter. Like, that's the weird dichotomy of this version of Link, is like, no, this guy can, he's got the skills. But he can also talk, which just makes him aggravating. Yeah. You know, somebody who's that good, who's that young... Would be an arrogant tool about it. Yeah. I can almost guarantee it. Like, this is like flipping around, bouncing off walls, swinging across ropes, real swashbuckling stuff. And the animation, for the most part, does its service, but we'll get to that as it goes on. So, meanwhile, we cut back to the underworld with Ganon uh, berating the moblins in the. To set the scene, Ganon's got this giant glass urn. Sort evil. Yeah, it's his. It's not named in the episode, but it is later named the Evil Jar. And that's where he conjures up his minions from. And when they get zapped by Link, they end up back in there for a while. So none of them actually die. That's an important distinction. They just get a slightly uh, magical timeout. Pretty much. And, uh... What was it? Oh, yeah. Link had told the Moblins that Ganon's going to have to come get the Triforce himself. And Ganon decides to, you know, hey, why not? Meanwhile, teleporting all around his cavern of evil. Oh yeah, this Ganon, he does a he does a Q thing where he'll teleport constantly. He doesn't always snap his fingers to do it, but he does once in a while. And yeah, he Why doesn't he just teleport to grab the Triforce? Uh, that's funny. Yeah, during his monologuing, he mentions that his teleportation powers are limited in the upper world. Which we're emphasizing now because a lot of people who watch episode one for YouTube reactions tend to talk over the part where he explains that. And then they say, well, why doesn't Ganon just teleport into the castle? It's like, you know why, or you would know why if you would shut your hole and pay attention to the cartoon. But anyway, I digress. Ganon decides to disguise himself as a magician and figures he'll have to travel in style, which means on a... Uh, what is it when the you got the chairs on a pole, like a sedan chair? No. I don't know. I know what you mean. Like, I, I obviously know what you mean, but... Yeah. Anyway, he's uh, he, he disguises himself in a robe and has some Stalfos, the skeleton guys, in robes uh, carrying him. They're his pallbearers. <laughs> That's not the right word, but, you know. You know what we're talking about. Anyway, so... The magic show isn't going particularly well. One crummy wizard shows off a magic to make plants grow really fast, which is great, until the tomato explodes, covering Zelda and the magician in 
tomato. Where this robed magician laughs from the background. Yeah, and we get a real taste of Zelda's personality in this. She's fierce, independent, but also kind of a prissy little twit. Who dares laugh at me? I mean, it's bad form to laugh at the princess of your kingdom, but, you know. Also, we should mention the the character design. Uh, Link looks basically the way he does in the manual for the first Zelda game, only taller. A lot like he looks in Zelda 2. Zelda uh, doesn't... is uh, She's more of a warrior princess kind of outfit. Uh, An 80s kind of power pants suit with uh, long, tall boots... And hair tied back and a tiara instead of a crown. If you don't know what we're talking about, just Google Zelda cartoon Zelda. character. Yeah. But it's a it's a good uh, character design, and it probably animates a heck of a lot easier than a dress would do. Which I think is probably part of it. Plus, you know, she's a co-star instead of a damsel in distress, for the most part. Anyway, Ganon infiltrates the contest, uh, and he's... Waiting in line behind a guy who's about to magic the smell out of his socks. But he sends a, uh, a keese, one of the little bats from Zelda 1, up to scope out the Triforce. And we cut to a quick interlude of Sprite the Fairy and Link. And Sprite, you know, establishes... Pardon me. Sprite immediately establishes her barely repressed desire for Link. Simp. Yeah, she simps for Link, but at least she's active about it. She's constantly just telling Link straight up, Zelda's a snot, you should stick with me. Unfortunately, Link isn't into short girls, because she's only three inches high. The less said about that, the better. But uh, Ganon decides to cause a distraction to lure Link away from the Triforce. Turning a lizard into a dragon. Great magic trick. Mm-hmm. Also, why you should always vet your amateur ma- mu- uh, magicians. Yeah, the guy shows up to a contest being held inside the castle gates and uh, refuses to show his face or show any kind of ID or even give a name. Probably showing the door. But uh, Link uh, swings out his window to fight the dragon and. Uh, He's not doing... No, he's pinned down by fire. Really good am, uh, animation for him jumping out and swinging down. Yeah. Yeah, like, the cart, the, the animation isn't immaculate, but it is so much better than the Mario cartoon because they only had to make 13 of them within the same production time that they had to make 52 Mario shorts. So there was time for better animation, retakes... There's still a few hiccups here and there, but this is a pretty good-looking 80s adventure cartoon kind of color palette and painted backgrounds. It looks good. But anyway, Link's pinned down by the dragon fire, so Zelda chucks a a silver platter into the air, and he bounces three quote-unquote zap bolts from his sword off of it into the dragon. Turning the dragon back into a lizard. Yeah. This establishes that Zelda's not afraid to get into the mix and is uh, a pretty good tactical thinker in her own right. But by this point, Ganon has infiltrated the tower and... Sprite screams. Yeah. Alerting Zelda and Link that Link just messed up. Yeah. 
He should have let Zelda die. And stayed up there to guard the Triforce. That's what she would have wanted. Ganon swats Sprite aside, grabs the Triforce, and yeets out the window. Landing in his caravan chair. I think that's closer to what I'm thinking of. And, uh, basically books it. <laughs> he's, he's well, got he's a, not booking it. Yeah. His Stalfos are booking it. And he's if he can get to an underworld entrance, he'll be able to teleport like all the way to his throne room and be pretty much untouchable. Sort of. We'll we'll find out later that uh, you know it's not this impregnable fortress, but if he can get both triforces together, it, uh, he'd rule this land forever. Somehow. So. To be determined. Oh yeah, and the the triforces talk. The Triforce of Power just tells, uh, when Ganon says he's going to disguise himself as an amateur magician, the Triforce of Power just says, you're no amateur, you're a pro. Meanwhile, the Triforce of Wisdom speaks in rhyme, and it will for the handful of times it does again in the show. Evil is the path you choose, but evildoers always lose. Which, as we know from the real world, not so much true. No, but it's a nice thought. Yeah. Anyway, Zelda uh, gets the magician who made the growing tomato to grow a seed that she throws into the ground, into a giant vine that she bends back, and uses it to catapult her and Link towards Ganon to catch up to him. A tactic often used by Zelda speedrunners. Yeah, it's pretty forward-thinking stuff. They manage to slow down Ganon by taking out one of the Stafos hauling his cart, and... uh, but they're close enough to the underworld entrance that a, a, another mob of Stalfos is coming as reinforcements. So Zelda and Link decide to go back to back and tie Link's belt around both of them for reasons. Although it, it does end up working, so I yes. guess it justifies itself. It just looks kind of dumb. You know, they pull off some pretty good moves. Uh, you know, like him bending over so she kicks upwards and kicks them away. And she's also got the... oh. We didn't establish this earlier, but Link uh, swipes a bow off the Moblins who attacked him at the beginning of the show and gives it to Zelda. Yes. This is actually a long-running thing where Zelda's main weapon is the bow, and that would coincidentally carry into later games, too. Ganon's not too happy with how the fight is going and decides to give some impromptu fighting advice to one of the Stalfos by shadowboxing in place for an uncomfortably long time. Remember, why fight someone else if you're a competent fighter when you can just... Shadow box. I'm pretty sure there's a movie about that. Uh, Real Steel. Yeah. Chappy. <laughs> uh, Link and Zelda clean up the rest of the Stalfos, all but one, who pulls a bomb out from under his chest cavity and chucks it at them, while Ganon makes a run for the entrance of the Triforce. But Link just uh, swings his sword and baseballs the bomb down to the down into the entrance along with Ganon, and basically blows them sky high. Saving the day again, and sending Ganon for a short stay in his own evil jar. And just when Link, uh, just when Zelda is finally going to give Link a, you know, a rewarding kiss, Sprite shows up. This will be another recurring element. <laughs> if uh, fate and God himself don't stop them from kissing, Sprite will show up too. A force more powerful than God himself. Yeah. Now, let's do a quick uh, detour back about the music. Yeah, the music is freaking great. 
really well orchestrated versions of the handful of songs from Zelda one. You know, the main Zelda theme is really done well for the theme song and is incidental music on like pan flute and stuff. Yes. Uh, the underworld theme in the Ganon scenes is done really well. Yeah, you can look up on YouTube and we'll probably put some snippets in here of the music. I know, uh, I'll be linking in the description, but there's a cover version of the quote-unquote hero theme that's really good. Because all the other... The music for either of these shows have never been released officially. And so fans have been taking to either recreating it or trying to cut the voices out. to Mixed results, but some of them are pretty good. And how do you like the music? I enjoy it. Uh, another random fact about me from... Uh, about Zelda... I have always loved the Zelda music. Uh, I used to be a band kid, and uh, so I transposed by ear uh, a lot of the Zelda music with... <laughs> you can stop that now, John. <laughs> I'm no better. Except that I didn't play an instrument you could transpose onto. Yeah. Well, I'm going to transpose the Zelda theme onto my snare drum. <laughs> oh... But anyway, you were saying. But uh, with that, I do have a very deep connection to the different Zelda music, more so than the games themselves. I think that's pretty fair. The Zelda series has some of the best music, especially in the classics. I'm a big fan of it myself. And uh, yeah, this show, you know, I love the, the cheesiness of the, the way the Mario music is used in the cartoon and the plumber rap and everything. But this is how you actually use the music to be a soundtrack for a cartoon. So overall, I guess we'll get into the ratings. How did you like the first episode of the Zelda cartoon? It was ra uh, rather good. Animation was tight for most of it. Uh, there was a couple of uh, missing frames, I'll call Yeah. Where it just, Link is all of a sudden halfway through an animation instead of yeah, instead of the... There were no in-betweens. No. Or not enough. But it's like almost the opposite problem that we had with Mario's Magic Carpet, where everybody like blinked one more time before the trans scene transition. Yes. Or did side-eye shift, but do it twice. Yeah. It's like, this episode's 30 seconds too short. Make them all blink again. <laughs> <laughs> um, As we went over, uh, the music was great. Uh, the story was there there as uh with a lot of 80s cartoons there are some problematic themes yeah but it's not too bad no it's all being played with the tongue and the cheek like i said they're, they're referencing the popular idea of the you know the the two that are obviously into each other but don't really get along that well because the guy's a tool and the girl's a snot but there's something deep down there I think overall it's a good introduction for the series. You know, you get the setup, you Link's living in the castle, he's guarding the Triforce, Ganon wants the Triforce. You get a good overview of a lot of the character relationships and even little things like the fact that the magic pouch on Link's belt uh, can shrink items as he puts them in it, and that's how he holds so many items. It's one of those early on-screen uses of, like, hammer space to use the more modern parlance. So I think overall it's a pretty strong introduction for the Zelda cartoon. I'd give it a good... Oh. 
I'm going to give it seven pillow fighting moblins out of ten. It's a, it's, I know it's a high mark for the first episode, but I think there'll be some dips. I'm going to give it seven and a half unwanted kisses out of ten. Wow. Oh, yeah, and we won't be doing an excuse me princess or kiss me princess counter because those have been chronicled online quite extensively. Uh, Zelda Universe has a good uh, video, a supercut of all the excuse me princesses. All right. Now I'm just going to put these in the notes before I forget so I don't have to call it when we play this back later. So I put seven pillow, pillow fighting moblins. And Aaron put uh, 7.5 unwanted kisses? Yes. Unwanted kisses. That's it. Good. And we'll be... Eventually we're going to use these ratings to put an unofficial top 10 for the Mario cartoon and maybe a top 5 for Zelda. Top 7. Top 7 out of 13? Yes. Mm, fair enough. There's at least 7 good ones. Well, we'll see. I, there are a couple duds, but for the most part, I think uh, you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. There's some really strong ones coming. But on to episode six for next week. We're back to the super show, and I'm going to get your predictions based off the titles. The live action segment is The Mario Monster Mash, and the cartoon is Rolling Down the River. Ooh. So... Mario Monster Mash, I am assuming that it is a Halloween episode. Uh, potentially with a cover of the Monster Mash. However, I doubt it, but we will get over that. Oh, we will talk about that next episode. Yeah, they don't usually have covers in the live action segments. It could change. They could. Uh, as for Rolling Down the River... um. Tom Sawyer parody. That's a good pull. I think you're close. And I'm pretty sure that the the excised cover song from that one is a cover of that CCR song. But we'll find that out next time. And until next time... Do the Mario! Hi. I'm Aaron from the Excuse Me Princess Super Show, and after much begging and pleading and groveling, Aaron, the Trouble Plan Man, has agreed to reinstate his ad space on the Excuse Me Princess Super Show. You have just finished listening to Episode 5, A Slightly Magical Time Out. I'm here today with... John, also from the Excuse Me Princess Super Show. And we have an, uh, an important announcement uh, today... Well, this episode has just gone live, I will have uh, been outside of Canada. John, where are you going to be? Inside the United States. And during that time, we are going to experience uh, the California Coasters Tour. Not the one that is going to be coming up next year, but... We're going to Disneyland and Super Nintendo Land. John, how many times have you been to Disneyland? Not nearly as many times as I've been asked that question today. Also zero. And how many times have you been to Universal? Also zero. I've been to Disneyland a couple of times, and I have yet to make it to Universal. However, with me, been to Disneyland multiple times, 
and John never been to Disneyland, we are going to have a bit of a travel log on the TikTok of Aaron, the travel plan man, coast to coaster. We'll be getting my thoughts and impressions of every ride that I go on, before and after, I believe. Yes, and this will also include uh, talks about the ride queue, the ride itself, the ride smell, how well uh, uh, the wait time was, and whether or not uh, you'd recommend using the fast lane, uh, whether it be Genie Plus, uh, secondary buy it uh, at the park fast lane, or, in the case of uh, Universal Studios, we actually have the VIP uh, tickets and early access for Super Nintendo Land. So if you want to uh, know more about uh, our journey, follow us, well, follow me, at Coast to Coaster on TikTok. On Facebook, you can uh, follow me at Aaron Shanahan, the Travel Plan Man, or... There's nowhere else you can really go. Keep an eye on the Excuse Me Princess Super Show's social media accounts, too. I'm sure we'll be sharing links to everything. That's at Excuse Me Sup Show on Twitter X. I think we'll have a Facebook page by then. And we might even be uploading a sort of compilation or condensation of some of the travel logs onto the main channel and podcast feed. And this is when we're also going to announce, once we get back, we are going to be doing a special show, an ex- Extremely special PSA about the dangers of theme parks. An extremely goofy movie. Two. Ooh. The movie you've been waiting for. So, instead, uh, uh, between episodes six and seven, we should have a specialty episode that comes out. Chronicling our trip to Narnia or Los Angeles, whichever comes first. Whichever has the least invasive security policies. Till next time. Do Do the the Mario. Mario.